0: You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Steve Sullivan on a breakaway. Stopped by Longo. The check goes to the front of the net. Twisting and turning. The down a shot! Across. There has not been any negotiation
1: at this point, and we're hoping to get to that at some point. No, 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 no.
2: Christ, hope, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was, but I hope we don't do that again for the next 10 years. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Ada, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, I did mention we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Here's Jason Bruff
0: to tell you more about Kintech, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We have a lot of guests
2: on the show today. A lot of guests. And they just get better and better and better and better throughout the morning. And that's not to, you know, take away from any of the early guests. Nick Shook's going to join us from NFL.com. We love Nick. He's obviously the least good guest. He's an amazing guest. It's hard to get a better guest at 6.30 in the morning, but Nick Shook's going to join us at 6.30. Power ranking number five, Nick Shook. We're going to talk to him about a very horrible football game tonight. Actually, we're not going to talk to him about that game at all. Pop question for you. Do you know who's going to start a quarterback for the Chargers tonight? Uh, No idea. His name is Easton Stick. It's no got way. a real yes, really. Yes. Easton Stick, Easton Stick, not oh, to be good. confused with the Synergy Stick. Hmm. That's the Easton Stick, right? Easton Stick is the quarterback for the Chargers. Tonight. In all
0: seriousness, I want to ask, um, I want to ask Nick about the Belichick story in New England. What's going on there? Yep,
2: we can talk to him about that at 7 o'clock. Uh, George Richards from Florida Hockey. Now, great guest, amazing guest. We'll look ahead uh, to tonight's game, Canucks Panthers, seven o'clock, Rogers Arena. George Richards from the Panthers side of thing, seven thirty, Jason the first of two former NHLers, former Olympians that are going to be on the show. Bobby Ryan is going to join us uh, at 7.30. He's on the Coming In Hot podcast. Stop me if you can actually believe this or not, but an ex-NHL player has a podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we should ask Bobby about that. We should just ask him about um, this trend of ex-players having podcasts and... What they think the fans want to hear. We should actually just like have like shop talk with them. Sure. Like, what do you What are you providing? Yeah. Um, that you're the competition. Yeah, you're, you're the trying competition. To take right off my
2: table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You seem like you have enough money. Yeah, exactly. Right. Can, um, I, can I have some money? <laughs> so in this list of guests that just keeps getting better and better and better, it takes a dip at eight o'clock because Thomas Trance is going to join us from the Athletic and Connect's Talk. But then it gets better. Eight thirty, and this is the peak of the show. Roberto Luongo is going to join us. The man of the day, the man of the hour, Canucks legend, Laddie, Canucks legend, Roberto Luongo is going to join us ahead of tonight's game where you will go into the Ring of Honor uh, ahead of the game against the Florida Panthers. We are also giving away WWE Friday Night Smackdown tickets today, also known as Fright Night, but Friday Night Smackdown tickets. Uh, January 5th, Rogers Arena. You had a good idea, and I think we're going to run with it. What we learns all show. We'll be taking them in. We'll be reading them on the air when we get a chance because we got a lot of guests. And then the winner we're going to announce right after the Luongo hit. So if you want to go see SmackDown on January 5th, send a what we learned in. Hashtag at WWL.
0: Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, I love this text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Would you rather discuss Luongo going into the Ring of Honor instead of having his jersey retired Or discuss the political situation in the Middle East. (laughs) Probably the latter, to be perfectly honest with you. And no, we will not be asking Luongo about that. Luongo is going to do a press availability later in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to do a scrum, so maybe one of those guys is going to ask him. We are not. We are going to ask him about his fascinating career in Vancouver. He is one of the most, if not the most, fascinating athletes that I've ever covered or been a fan of in Vancouver, and there is so much more to get into than just that sports radio debate that can be had on other shows.
2: Here, here, Jason. Here, here. That's what's happening on the program today, Laddie. Let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was. We know how busy your life can
0: be. What happened, You missed that.
2: What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Yesterday, in advance of a very big midweek game, you don't get bigger Thursday night games, then the Florida Panthers, <laughs> who are off to a great start and went to the Stanley Cup last year. You've got this huge ceremony with Roberto Luongo going into the Ring of Honor. The Canucks did practice yesterday. What? They didn't get a day off? Why? Well, thought rest is a weapon. So many days off with this team. No, they decided to go back to work. A highly paid millionaires, They're going to be exhausted up. today. I don't know. We'll see what happens tonight. Watch, they'll do the inverse. They'll get off to a great start, and then they'll fade in the third period. <laughs> anyway, doesn't sound like there's going to be any changes to the lineup, despite the fact that Pugh Suter is now back skating with some regularity. And um, the only real big takeaway, I guess, you've got it in the notes here, sounds like Nikita Zadorov got some one-on-one time with a pair of pretty good former defensemen themselves. Sergei Gonchar and Adam What is he tries to get up to speed with what the Canucks are doing systems-wise.
0: Yeah, credit to JPAT uh, who wrote about that in Canucks Army. And uh, Zdorov said afterwards that, I've still got some things to learn about this team and the systems here. I still feel like I, I don't have um, a good... Like, people, what, what do you think about Zdorov? He's He's been fine. But again, I don't yet... I'm not confident in knowing his game well enough, and I think that takes, like, 20 to 30 games to really understand what a player is and what he can do. And I do think that with all the talk and learning that the Canucks have done about structure and systems and habits, there's probably a pretty uh, steep learning curve for Zadorov to come in and play quite a big role in the defensive side of things for the Canucks. Right. Sorry. Right. And with regards
2: to Suter, he will draw in eventually and it will be nice to i i think a lot of people in the brief like snap shot that he gave us of his game i think a lot of people were enamored with what he brought to the table and what he could provide them in terms of roster flexibility going down the middle and what have you but it won't be tonight as they take on the florida panthers the panthers of course come into tonight and, you know, I was going through the notes last night and I was going doing the research, and, I, you know, Panthers got off to a good start. They're 17 9 and 2. Mm-hmm. They're second in their division. I think a lot of people thought that they'd take a step back, myself included, because they were going to start the season with so many injuries. But they've kind of been able to withstand that. So Ekblad and Montour not were out. Just kind of. No, they're a good team. So they were able to withstand the losses of Ekblad and Montour, who really didn't return until mid November. Also, not really getting it ton out of Matthew Kachuk. Mm-hmm. Like he's only got five goals in 28 games. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, how the hell are they 17-9-2? They're Sam and Reinhardt's team now.
0: They are Sam Reinhardt's team. So yeah. um, you the know, Panthers are 17-9-2, and unfortunately for the Canucks, they're going to be extra motivated after losing 4 nothing to Seattle on Tuesday. Yeah. That snapped an eight-game losing streak for the Kraken. And as Mike mentioned, this is going to be a different team than the one the Canucks beat earlier in the season. Yeah. Uh, Montour and Ekblad are back now pushing OEL and Forsling back down to playing more reasonable minutes. A guy like Forsling and to to a lesser extent OEL are still going to play significant minutes, but those guys were playing like 24, 25 minutes a night for this team while Montour and Ekblad recovered, but... It's now back to that defense, or at least most of the defense, that helped the Florida Panthers all the way to the Stanley Cup final. But the Matthew Kachuk thing is a little bit interesting Mm -hmm. from their perspective because just remember the role he played on the Panthers' run to the Stanley Cup final. Like He seemed to score a big goal in every game on the way there, and it's just a slow start. It's not the end of the world, but... 20 points in 28 games, this is a guy that Panthers fans have become used to getting 100 points in a season. Yeah, like the
2: production isn't awful. You mentioned 20 points in 28 games. Five goals in 28 games is crazy. That's really low for a guy that you expect to hit 40 every season. But... They got Sam Reinhardt. Like, who cares? Sam Reinhardt is having an unreal year. I don't know how many people have actually... I didn't really pay that much attention to it. Mm-hmm. I knew he was in top 10 in scoring because he'd go and check, and his name would always pop. And him and Barkoff have been really good for Florida. But like, he's on pace for 50 goals and over 100 points. And uh, George Richards, who we're going to have on the show at 7.30, actually wrote about this you know, sort of homecoming swing that they're going through, obviously, a Vancouver native. So uh, Reinhardt's going to be one to watch tonight. I think it's going to be a really interesting game because the Panthers have, in my mind, overachieved and there's the whole backdrop of the Luongo thing as well. But
0: let's face it, the story tonight uh, is going to be Roberto Luongo um, and then we'll get into the game and then we'll be interested in the game, but Mm. leading up to it, uh, now I do not want to have the debate about Ring of Honor versus Jersey Retired. It's not like we're too good for it because we've had the debate plenty of times on the show and we've engaged in it and if people want to text in and ask questions about it, maybe we'll allow it, but I actually think there's a more interesting question to discuss, and I kind of hinted at it earlier. Was, the, was Luongo or is Luongo the most interesting Vancouver athlete ever? Note, I didn't say the best. I'm just talking about the most interesting Vancouver athlete ever. Did he provide sports fans and sports radio guys like us with the most content of any athlete who's ever come through Vancouver? For me, the answer is yes, because you have it all with him. You've got the fact that he was an unbelievable goalie. First ballot Hall of Famer, so he had plenty of highs in his career, including winning Olympic gold in 2010 in Vancouver. But he also, and I think this is what made him more interesting, he also had a share of lows. And not just kind of lows, they were really low moments, which in a way made him, I think, more beloved as he learned to deal with the failure. Um, IMac wrote a great great piece on Luongo, and he spoke to a bunch of his uh, former teammates, and I think IMac summed it up really well here. He said, he wrote, At his most dominant, Luongo was admired but not adored in Vancouver he was regarded by some as a diva who called his own shots and kept a shield between himself and reporters and fans. But in despair, after he was dislodged as starter and asked for a trade, Luongo showed himself to be as vulnerable and fallible as the rest of us. During a comical and painful two-year trade mission, the goalie for Montreal displayed humility and self-deprecating humor. He became relatable and loved. Now, if you just think that that's some sports columnist take on it and that's his narrative, here's what Luongo had to say, and this is a story in the in the Vancouver province quite recently. I think it was written when he was inducted or named that he was going to be in into the Ring of Honor. Luongo said, obviously, there are always regrets. I'm grateful for my time in Vancouver, and with the mental side, I was able to become a better person by not always taking things so personally and making sure I allowed things to roll off my back. And all that was because of my time there, and I wouldn't want to change that. With the failures, you learn and you grow up. That's what happened toward the end of my stint with the Canucks. It's not on anybody else but me, and unfortunately, that's something I have to live with. Is that not a fascinating start to finish talking about his time in Vancouver. Um, isn't that a fascinating timeline? Yeah. I mean, the the thing with Luongo's, at the end of his tenure here as a player,
2: is that it was so acrimonious and weird. And it, like some people, oh, it was befitting of a guy that was filled with drama throughout his time in Vancouver. But you always think that when an athlete goes out, now he's being honored in this particular way, that there's a nice... Some sort of nice finish or nice ending, but there really isn't. It's almost as if his entire career was peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. and you never really got a true sense of uh, a clear and like focused picture about what Luongo was. Like it's very complex and it's very layered and it's very complicated. And I guess that's befitting of the player, but it doesn't make for a nice neat syrupy narrative like even tonight even tonight there's controversy we're intentionally not talking about the biggest controversy about this whole thing (laughs) and that's too bad because i think uh at his core and i'm talking like personality wise and everything luongo was probably a lot of a more relatable a lot cooler and a lot better dude than a lot of people really ever understood Mm -hmm. i think growing up being a phenom and then being as highly touted as he was that played into a shift in his personality. This is the public persona that he put forth. And then I think some of it was safeguarding against criticisms and not wanting to be the vulnerable, fallible person that IMAC was writing about. Because part of it as a goalie is you got to have like the brain yeah. of it, the mind of it, the memory of a goldfish. You have to be but he never had sort that. of impenetrable. He, he, he never had He that. tried.
0: He, he never he, had he it. He tried
2: that. to put it on, was the thing, and it didn't work. And then when he kind of became himself, like mm-hmm. IMAC was saying, suddenly. suddenly it's funny, Lou, and it's Twitter handle Lou. And it's relatable, Lou. Lou right? Well, it's
0: completely different, like when than the early perceptions, and maybe the perceptions were wrong, and maybe that was Luongo just not showing the media and the fans, probably mostly the media, who he really is. And the sad, the sad part was was that, that but he came at across, he came across as um, standoffish, yeah. which is bizarre, right? And remember, I always say this, like. Around the 2011 Stanley Cup Final, there would be the debate of like, who would you want to go have a beer with, Luongo or Tim Thomas? And people would be like, "Oh, Tim Thomas. He seems just like a normal guy, a blue collar guy, like yep. the kind of guy." And you know, and meanwhile, behind the scenes, you you find out that he wasn't even the most popular guy in the in the Bruins dressing room. That's one way uh, of putting uh, it. Yeah, and then and and Luongo eventually became maybe like of all the players that you'd want to hang out in the NHL, he might have been number one. So the I, the, I, the sad thing is that. At the end, at later stages
2: of his career, when he finally was more open and forthright than vulnerable, is when he got benched for a big game in Vancouver, and then ultimately, you know, there was a fracture in the relationship, mm-hmm. and he, he left, right? Now, I'm not saying I think one his Twitter, caused the other. I think
0: his Twitter account was a was a game changer.
2: Yeah, but, like, I'm not saying one caused the other, but it's almost like if you look back on it, you're like, and finally, Roberto Luongo was able to come to peace with himself and the fans in Vancouver, <laughs> and he was vulnerable and open. And then he got benched and eventually had to be traded away from the franchise, <laughs> and he went back to Florida. like that's And that's how it ended.
0: Yeah, well, the organization was... Uh, was was a total mess. And uh, I was listening to an interview with Mike Gillis. He was on with uh, Matt and Blake. And it was actually a really good interview. And he was saying that, you know, he, Gillis was not happy with that decision, but there was no alignment at that time between management... And the coaching staff, like Torts did what he wanted to do. And, you know, there was, you know, Gillis and AV had that close relationship. And then, you know, I don't think Torts was uh, Gillis's number one choice for head coach there. But at the time, Gillis had lost a lot of power within that organization. For whatever reason, we won't get into that. And then when, you know, he he was sitting there just going like, Gillis was saying in this interview, he's like, I couldn't believe that decision was made, Mm -hmm. essentially, and I didn't agree with it. The organization was... On top of having to deal with the Luongo story was a mess yes. psychologically because of the loss to the Boston Bruins mm-hmm. and people will always say yeah but they won the President's Cup or the Pre- President's Trophy the, the next year I was like yeah they weren't the same team yeah, they, they, were they still fried. weren't they were they were they were psychologically done um, so anyway I, I I go into this because I talk about uh, Luongo as a person because. I find that stuff way more interesting than you know. People are going to bring up a lot of people like go to his statistical profile and see where he where he stacks up against the greats, and they'll make that argument. um, You know, oftentimes to say like his number should be retired or that's why he's in the Hall of Fame or or whatever. I I just think his statistical profile, as impressive as it is. Mm is, like, the least interesting thing about his time in Vancouver. Right. When you So right? the original like, I'm question. i just like, yeah, he won a lot of games, he was a really good goalie, but, like, there's so much more to the story than that.
2: Well, the original question for you was, is Luongo the most interesting athlete to ever play in Vancouver? And, like, I think uh, testament to that is that we still haven't brought up so many other fascinating parts of his story here. Remember when he was named captain? Remember when he told everyone? I hate that the his underselling
3: contracts? of the stats, though. I feel like that's a pretty major part. Like he, but we're not. Really, it, it wasn't just the accumulating. Not underselling. I'm well, saying no, hold on. It wasn't just. It wasn't just the like, accumulation of wins and saves. He was consistently mm-hmm. one of the top safe percentage goaltenders in the league, year in, year out, for fifteen years. But that's what made that's his unheard but, but, of, Laddie.
0: Were you in Vancouver then? I was not in Vancouver. Okay, so, so you, it's it's hard. For you to get it, because despite those stats, there was still a feeling, and it was not an unreasonable feeling that in big games you were nervous when he was in there. Okay, and it started in the Chicago series, and then the next Chicago series, and then the Chicago series after that. Not discounting that, and then there were some really, really bad games in the Boston series in the Stanley Cup final even in 2010 when he was the goalie for <laughs> Canada at the Olympics uh I I guess I'm not speaking for anyone or I'm not speaking for everyone but I'm speaking for myself and I know I'm speaking for a lot of people because I always felt like he felt the highs and the lows and he didn't have that uh goldfish memory he you know like he was in it. And he was a thinker. He wasn't one of those athletes that was just like, whatever, I'll just go out and play the game, right? I feel like there there was maybe, and then maybe this was some projection on our part, but when he was in there in big games, we didn't always feel comfortable. I,
3: I understand that sense that people had and I, I hear that from every Canucks fan, but who did you have confidence that in, in any kind of that they no could get it done in the big in any, moment? No yeah. confidence you cheer for a team that's never done it yeah, exactly. in the big moment. And so, it, why is maybe that? that was part of why it. Why is that now a sled getting... against no, no, just no, no, Luongo? No, 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 no.
0: Getting... Because, it, no, no. It wasn't just that. It was Luongo himself. We saw, we saw him be ultra confident at times, but then think, when things would start going against him, they would snowball. And it's why I've always argued, and I'll go back to it like, AV, you got to pull them out of, of game three in Boston. But, but when, as opposed you know, to the Canuck
3: like, who stepped up in the big moment and won the
0: big game. Well, that's it, never happened, Jason. Well, that's has, never happened. It has. Kirk no, McLean did it. The in Canucks 94. have never won
3: the cup. And the, <laughs> Luongo got them to game seven, the closest you can get to winning the cup okay. without actually winning it. All right. Well, agree to disagree on that. But um, let, right? me, let me continue. There's a, reason, there's a
0: reason why Kirk McClain, some people. Hold Kirk McLean at the same level or even higher than Luongo is because let me talk because his career numbers, while significantly lower and not even Hall of Fame worthy, when he was in during that '94 run, he time and time again came up with big saves that he shouldn't have. Still didn't get it done though. Why do you have confidence in? He lost three two in the final in Game Seven, right? He didn't get. He didn't. His team scored a goal. Okay,
3: (laughs) (laughs) but the thing with the stats for me is the fact that Luongo had to reinvent himself multiple times throughout Mm -hmm. his career. That's not something most goalies can do. Yeah, and he is so committed to the craft of goaltending. He played his prime years in Vancouver. Like I just, to me, it's just a baffling decision. Still. To this day, yeah, even, lad- even even with your feelings, I understand how how Canucks fans. It's not my feelings,
0: that. laddie. I watched multiple games where he sunk to serious lows on the ice, right? And and I'm not again. I'm I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just trying to say like that's what makes him so interesting. That's why we have these conversations about him. He was a gift for sports media and for sports fans to debate because some people would just go straight with the the overall stats and the other people would be like and that would be me I'd be like yeah but how do you like and this is a little touchy feel you be like how do you feel when he's in there for big games do you feel 100% so, there, do you feel the same way you would about you know, any of the other Hall of Fame goalies that are in there? Well, we weren't going to
2: relitigate the entirety of Luongo's nine <laughs> years in Vancouver, but we're doing it now. And yeah, I, yeah, it's the start of the show. We're not
0: yeah. going like, to <laughs> do this. Like, like Laddie, I, 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 it feels like I'm saying you never played the game, but like you, you never played the game in Vancouver. When you were here, you weren't part of it. was Isn't right? it interesting from an outside perspective? that somebody Yes, very interesting from yeah. an outside perspective that just, you can't understand why it was, but you weren't living the day to day.
4: I agree with both of you, actually, because I, I be, being here at that time, well, living here my whole life, I mean, yeah, R- R- Luongo would get in his own head at times, and, and you were nervous sometimes when
0: he played. Mm-hmm. He looked he looked nervous when you were, you yeah. were watching him, yes. right? You're like, yes. oh, my God. Not always, but there <laughs> yeah. are times. No, where, but when he was confident, you were like, he's oh, not going to let a puck in.
4: Correct. With that said, eight years in Vancouver, Hockey Hall of Fame goalie, at the end of the day, I would still retire his jersey because, because of his accolades. Regardless of what happened in Vancouver, he's still in the Hall of Fame. He had eight more or less great years here outside of a few blemishes that you could put on the whole team, not just him.
2: Right. But I mean, again, not to relitigate where his uh, jersey and or number are going. This all started, <laughs> I'm going to put this in perspective. This all started with Bruff asking the question, is he the most interesting athlete to ever play in Vancouver? You guys are having... I'd say he is. Uh, yeah, well, because you guys... It's, I mean, it has to be, right? It has, to be he has the most play, fascinating. He hasn't oh, played totally. here, damn near close to a decade, and there's still a very passionate debate going on mm-hmm. between two individuals. Not me, but two individuals in this room who are like very, very much engaged in this, and it's not put on for show. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't mention this enough, is that prior to him arriving, goaltending in Vancouver, all due respect to Kirk McLean was a sore spot.
4: It was a graveyard. It was literally called the Goalie Graveyard. Luongo,
2: now, here's the thing. Luongo didn't come in on the heels of Kirk McLean. Luongo came in on the heels of Dan Kluche, And Luongo came in on the heels of the back-breaking center ice goal in the playoffs from the Nickleth.
0: That was the one that stood out. Now, there were other goalies that
2: played, Alex Ald and Johan Hedberg and everyone
0: else, but it was... Do you think Bad. Johan Hedberg was the second most interesting athlete to ever come through Vancouver?
2: I, 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 I couldn't ever forget him until literally a moment ago when I was like, did Johan Hedberg play here? But now remember, they, when they made the trade, I remember being out at, I think it was a cactus club in Coquitlam, and it popped on the screen, and there was a rejoicing that they had finally done what the Canucks had never done before. You know how we always say the Canucks had never had a top flight, bonafide, one... D, like they never had the great defenseman. Yeah. Well, prior to Longo, they never had the great goalie. They yeah. never gone out and acquired one. He was considered the best young goalie, the best franchise goalie in the NHL. And this was way back when you would. Again, do think crazy things like slap a captaincy on the guy because he meant that much to your team. But he, he was it. And he was the team early on. And like then he, he showed was up. the team. And then he showed up and he delivered, which was crazy. Yeah. He should have won the
0: Vezna in 06, 07. He played, like, what, no, 76 games in a season or and whatever had, like, it was?
2: First line Taylor Pyatt. Oh, like, that's the kind was of team. that the Brodeur, you know, like, Trent Platt was the there. year Brodeur won? Yes. Yeah, it was like.
4: Because Brodeur right, had right,
3: a bunch right. taken from him during the Hasek years. Yeah, that I was, was the to give start
4: to his Vancouver career. Yeah. So when it's we It's like refs with makeup calls, but it's like <laughs> makeup
2: make trophies. When we talk about trajectories, he came and then instantly delivered. So I think part of why his tenure here was so rocky was everyone just assumed that it was gonna be he was gonna be like what Brodeur was in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We were just gonna lean on him and we we're gonna win a bunch of Stanley Cups because we had the best goalie in the NHL. And then the the club took it a step further. They're like, this guy is so important to our mm-hmm. team that we're gonna take the unprecedented step of making him the captain. And that was the first gaffe in the entire thing, I think, because then all of a sudden,
0: (laughs) in that interview, Gillis was like, "That was Av's idea, right?"
2: Like, was (laughs) it me? Was it me? I, I had nothing to do with that one. And then all of a sudden, it got rocky. And that's why, again, to go back to Bruff's original point, (laughs) that's when it started to get really interesting. And then we had five or six more seven more years of really, really interesting Luongo stuff, including tonight where he will be inducted into the Ring of Honor at Rogers Arena. We got a lot more to get to on this program. We are not going to spend the entire three hours talking about Luongo. However, we are going to talk to the man himself at 8.30.
4: Glad we avoided that debate.
2: Set your alarms, whatever you need to do. But at 8.30, get back to the Halford and Bruff show because Roberto Luongo is going to join us live on the air. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little NFL with Nick Shook from NFL.com. That's coming up next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.
4: The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city.
1: Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. God
2: resty, merry, gentle, Mary. God merry, Mary. God resty, Mary, gentle, Mary. 34 on a Thursday. Was this the, is this the original version? It is. <laughs> yeah. All that's missing are some rap horns. Can you plug those in for us? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Alvin Brough of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. When they say that there's music out there, that they're making it for nobody, this is it. I don't know who you're making this for, but I'm pretty sure it's Nobody for
0: a morning
2: show that... We need to bring down the temperature a little bit from the first time I'm going to play this
3: on Christmas Day.
2: when you know laddie physically presents? attacked me? He did. In the break. Yeah. That thing got physical. <laughs> Speared him with a trident. Yeah. Um, Woody Badmouse Luongo. I, mean. I will apologize to... I think it's Aussie. Aussie James, is that it? Who wrote in, uh, I love... Your show, but this debate is not making my morning commute any easier. And yeah, we just stressed <laughs> everybody out for 20 minutes. Crikey, says Ozzy James. Going uh, next to it cost me $300. Yeah, he's upset.
0: I'm sorry. Like, I understand. There's a lot of all caps texts in the inbox. Yeah. I'm like, wow, it's early for all caps.
2: Yeah, like, we did that thing where your your parents like make a vow not to argue about this in front of the children. And then on the car ride to whatever, they argue about it in front of the children.
0: Like, ag- aggressively loudly, too. Yep. Not, almost, yeah, not it's even. It's almost like people have opinions on this
4: debate. Mm.
2: Oh yeah, and it's gonna well. I, did
0: I win the overall debate in that? <laughs> Here's the important thing. Did yeah. I win? No no no. <laughs> no, no, no. In that, Luongo is the most interesting athlete to ever come. Oh, the I didn't want to Murray. push
2: back because I had a whole argument about Pavel Bure being it.
4: Yeah, but, that was the other one I thought of right away.
2: But you know what? For the purposes of this conversation and our sanity, I think I'm just gonna go with Luongo. Just mm-hmm. pull yeah. question, Luongo. Just, a, just agree with me. Yes. Just that's, tell that's him that he's Brough right. You are right, Jason. Pat him on the head and tell him that he's right. Okay, uh, we're going to... all I need. We are going to change directions entirely now and talk a little NFL. Joining us now, uh, our good buddy Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Nick. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Um, there is a lot of actual on-field NFL stuff I want to get to, but I know for NFL.com you wrote about Roger Goodell meeting with uh, the media on Wednesday after the December League meetings in Texas. Uh, he was asked a lot, not surprisingly, a lot about the state of officiating right off the heels of that Kadarius Tony offside call in the Buffalo-Kansas City game. So let's start with that first because that was a huge talking point out of the weekend. What did Goodell have to say about that penalty at the end of Buffalo's win over KC on Sunday?
1: Well, he, he was basically kind of surprised that it was still a topic of conversation just because the way it was framed was, you know, uh, what, what are your comments on officiating as a whole and, and with that in, in particular. And he, he said, you know, I think it, I find it ironic that, uh, you know, you're you're framing it that way when they got the call. Absolutely. Right. And, and basically acknowledged that officials are going to be under fire no matter whether they get the call wrong or right. Um, and, and we can all agree they got it absolutely right. Uh, it, if they hadn't thrown that flag, we all would have seen screen grabs of Tony lining up offside right. and how that touchdown shouldn't have counted. and <laughs> Buffalo would be crying, you know, victim, uh, if they hadn't thrown that flag. So I think we can all agree that, uh, it's kind of a non-starter, even if Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid were upset about it, they since walked it back. Obviously that's not going to grab the same level of headline as the initial reaction, but, um, you know, look, this is uh this is indicative of a frustrating stretch for the Chiefs in which Patrick Mahomes realizes that no matter how good he is, if his teammates don't, you know, hold up their end of the bargain, they're just not going to reach their full potential. And um and I think right now, you know, they're they're dealing with that and it kind of just overflowed in that moment and we saw, you know, the raw emotion on display at the end of the game that Mahomes probably felt like they should have had a chance to win. But um you know, the good thing is is that they're still on top of the AFC West, and they have a, a month to figure it out, and hopefully they do.
2: Okay, I do want to ask a follow-up about that because Bruff and I have talked a lot about like um, power ranking the AFC and which teams are going to go through. And I was always on the de facto argument that as long as Patrick Mahomes is still wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, you have to keep them in the mix. Sunday was the first time where I actually had serious doubts about Mahomes because of the way that he reacted. And it wasn't just that the frustrations boiled over and he kind of lost his head. It was that when he was trying to explain himself, he had no really solid argument. Like I think he even knew that what he was throwing out there wasn't going to you know hold water and true enough, he walked it back a couple days later. But that to me was the outburst of a guy that was frustrated and didn't really have any answers for the frustrations? I think that's the first time I've seen it. Honestly, since he broke onto the scene, it has been so dominant and so good.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think that Mahomes finds himself in a unique position now that he's never encountered before. Because when he came to the NFL, you know, he got that year behind Alex Smith, and they had talent around him. You know, they had the Tyreek kills and and you know so on. And some of the other guys would rotate in and out. You know, it'd be Chris Conley or Byron Pringle or whoever it might be, but. I don't think he's ever found himself in a position like this where he realizes that I don't have somebody outside of Travis Kelsey that I can trust. You know, Rasheed Rice has been their best receiver and he's he's a rookie. Um, you know, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has not lived up to expectation. Kadarius Tony, we know everything that's gone on with him. Sky Moore, you know, probably a guy that would thrive with less of a role somewhere else, but, you know, has struggled to handle the full scope of responsibilities in the chief's offense in his first two years. And, I'm always looking around thinking, God, man, I really wish I had Tyreek Hill or even Juju Smith-Schuster on my roster right now. I don't. And, and he's, I think that game you know, delivered a harsh reality to him, which is that, look, man, you're awesome. like You're one of the best players in football, but you also still need somebody to, to work with. And the other guys are just not helping him out outside of Travis Kelsey. And if I'm a defense, the first thing I'm doing is taking away Travis Kelsey and yeah. scaring the rest of them to beat me. And you know, I I do this QB index every week for NFL.com, and I and I sit back and watch Mahomes games, and they largely look the same, even though the numbers and outcomes look drastically different from week to week. And it's it's it is simply a product of Mahomes doing the same thing that he's done for the majority of his career, but getting subpar results from his teammates around him. Not named Travis Kelsey, maybe not named Rasheed Rice, and and now that we're in December. You know, if this was happening in September, you'd think, well, we got the whole season figured out. They haven't figured it out, and it's December. And, uh, and I think that that's why he's now, like, hitting this point where he has, you know, no other option but to just let it rip. Let all the frustration out. But I think it was one of those moments where, you know, think about the emotional range that they just dealt with. A lead late in the game that they felt like they probably should have won. And then it's called back by a penalty. And it's like, now this gets in our way. I can't catch a break. I'm going to go nuclear on an official. Obviously not a good look, but uh, I'm sure he's learning from it.
2: Well, uh, the good news for the Chiefs is it's guaranteed win week this week because they're taking on the Patriots on Sunday. I know the game is in didn't New England. Didn't the Patriots just win? Sorry, didn't they just win? They did. They've also lost 10 times this right. season. So this, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest it might be 11 come Sunday. Bill Belichick's future in New England. So for those that missed it, Tom Kern from NBC Sports Boston had a report out there midweek that the organization, after the Germany game in which the Colts and the Patriots went over to Germany and ruined the sport for Germans uh, and then came back, um, the Patriots had made a decision that they were going to move on from Belichick at the end of the season. Um, What do you know about those reports? Do you think Belichick is going to be back next season or is this his last year in New England?
1: Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Tom's been getting his uh, – the, the, the report has been circulating wildly yeah. since he uh, first said this on air. Uh, <laughs> I think this is the fourth time I've been asked about it, not, to, not even counting when I wrote about it yesterday. Right, right. <laughs> so this is obviously going to pick up, and that speaks to the stature of Bill Belichick uh, and everything he's accomplished in 24 years of the Patriots. In 24 years, guys, that's an insane time it is. to be with a franchise. And yet they are now kind of completing the unfortunate circle where they've been eliminated from the playoffs at the earliest point since his first season of 2000, uh, you know, right before he was able to kind of turn around the franchise, and which coincided, of course, with the selection of Tom Brady and, and his insertion into a game against the Jets because Drew Bledsoe got hurt because of a hit by linebacker Mo, Mo Lewis. You know, that seems like maybe ancient history to some now, but that's how long Belichick's been there. So, of course, this is going to attract all the attention in the world in an otherwise forgettable season for the Patriots, a season headed nowhere fast, a season where the Patriots have basically been exposed for being talent deficient on both sides of the football. The defense has not lived up to expectation. Of course, they lost Christian Gonzalez early in the season. He was supposed to be a big part of that defense. They go out and they get JC Jackson back in the chargers. And then you see him getting cooked for a touchdown by Deontay Johnson. And in that win over the Steelers, it's just things have not gone according to plan. It feels like the end of an era um, I don't know for certain whether Belichick's gone, but it would make a ton of sense if he was gone. Uh, it feels like a point in the franchise's progression where they may need a reset. It's just a bummer that, I mean, look, they, <laughs> they no matter how well you perform, unless you go out on your own terms, eventually firing will yeah. come You know to become a reality. You know, you know they say NFL not for long. Well, Belichick's been along around for a long time, but even now the patience runs out, and especially in this era in which owners seem to have less and less patience uh, because they see other teams turn around and they see other teams find success. And I just I get it. Like they just feel like a stale operation. I'm not going to go so far as to say that Belichick's passed. You know, the game has passed him by. But Jerry Jones fired fired Tom Landry once. Right. I mean, this has happened before. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see if he does move on from the Patriots, who's interested in in adding him. Because if you think about it, the Patriot way just failed in Vegas. But Belichick is not a name that you ignore if you're looking for
0: a coach. I mean, we're having the same conversations in this area of North America with Pete Carroll. Um, And he is one of the longest tenured head coaches. It goes, obviously, Belichick back to 2000. Uh, Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh have been around for a long time. But Pete Carroll is the fourth longest Uh, tenured head coach in the NFL. Uh, He he dates back to 2010 in Seattle. And the way the Seahawks defense is playing does not make Pete Carroll look very good just because he's the guy that loves a team with a great defense and a great running game. The running game has been okay at times. I would hardly call it dominant. uh, But the defense has been an absolute disaster these last few weeks.
1: Yeah, uh, it's disappointing because, uh, you know, it's such a strong unit, you know, early in the season. This is, this is what I saw as their strength of their team. And you've given up 31 points, 41 points, 28 points. But look, it's, it's tough because the way I look at uh, the, the way the NFL shakes out right now, the way the standings are as they currently are composed. 49ers look like the best team in football. I'm getting a vibe from the 49ers that I have not gotten from a single team in a season at this point in the campaign since I got uh, from the 2016 Falcons. I think it was about week 13 or 14 I was doing a radio hit somewhere. And I just flat out said it. And at the time I was like, I think I'm going out on a limb. But I said, <laughs> look, man, the Atlanta Falcons are winning the NFC and they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And people on on that show were like, what? And I'm like, trust me, they are. And that's how I feel about the 49ers right now. They're just such a well-run operation. And two of the last three games the Seahawks have played have come against those 49ers. I give them credit, too, because they went into San Francisco, Santa Clara. We can all be honest, Santa Clara, business parts of the stadium. <laughs> uh, and, and basically, they, they took Drew Locke out there and said, look, we're going to give you our, our best shot. And they did. For three quarters, Drew Locke was pretty solid. And they played well enough to compete in that game. It's not until things fell apart in the fourth quarter. But to come all the way back around to your defensive point, yeah, it's 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 a concern because, I mean, this was this was a group that was super promising early in the year. You looked at the way they were playing against some of the competition in the first month, month and a half, and you thought, man, if they if they play like this all year, they're going to be a tough out. No matter whether Geno Smith, you know, replicates what he did last season or not, because they're a young and hungry group. And since then, it's, it feels like they've just been exposed and caught in bad situations, like the the. The touchdown that Debo Samuel had uh, down the left side of the field where Purdy just put it right over the nearest defender, it was just an, an example to me of, of where the Seahawks stand defensively right now because guess who was in pursuit of Debo Samuel there because he bit the run fake? Jamal Adams. And that is, in a nutshell, what this group is right now. So as much promise as they have and everything else, um, they need to turn it around in this final month of the season. I mean, six and seven, it's, it's go time now. You don't have much time left to figure it out. Basically, you got to win out to get the 10 wins, give yourself a shot. And uh, you look at that schedule, you got the Eagles up next. So it's not going to be easy. We're speaking of Nick Shook
2: from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, It is requisite Tommy DeVito question time now, Nick. So you wrote the What We Learned for Monday Night Football. So you got to see the latest chapter of this story, which I got to admit, is really entertaining. I don't know how much substance there is, but there's certainly a lot of style. Most of it coming from DeVito's agent. So now he's the NFC player of the week. People are actually starting to ask the question if there's a long-term future for DeVito. So I know you do the QB index weekly and you watch a quarterback position. What can you tell me about the way the guy actually plays football and if any of this is sustainable long-term?
1: He's a gamer. First off and foremost, uh, he is an absolute gamer. Uh, he he's a guy who's going in there and playing fairly loosely, playing freely, just just taking what the defense gives him, scrambling for positive games, executing designed runs, and then letting a few beautiful bullets rip. Uh, his touchdown pass to Isaiah Hodgins was gorgeous. Just the, you know the way he scrambled to the right and threw it on the run and hit him just perfectly in the end, in the back of the end zone. Uh, kind of a magical night for him. It's kind of been what he's done for the last few weeks. His first showing when they first needed him to come into the game was a nightmare, but he's an undrafted free agent rookie. I, I wouldn't expect much more from him. Since then, he's settled in, uh, and, and he's adjusting to the game well and operating within himself well. That's what we're seeing from a lot of these backup quarterbacks. We're seeing it from Jake Browning um, and kind of Joe Blackout, too. Joe's let to rip a little bit more than the other two. But uh, guys who are just doing what they're asked to do, uh, by their coach, and and luckily all three of those guys are paired with good offensive minds, Zach Taylor, Kevin Stavansky, and Brian Dable. So, uh, I mean, do I think Tommy's going to be a viable long-term starter? Have they found that Brock Purdy? I will not go that far to say that right now. It's a small sample size, and I don't see all the same traits in him that I saw from Purdy, but what I do see is a kid who has quickly grown enough that the moment is not too big for him, and, and he's almost in a survivalist mentality where he's just relying on instincts and his preparation. It's producing positive outcomes, but it's funny because um, he missed the throw to Wandale Robinson early in that game. You can almost tell like the nerves in the adrenaline were a little too much for him early. Wandale was wide open on the left side. Fourth quarter comes around. They need to get the key first down. He hits Wandale on a similar play, 32 yard game, cuts up the game winning field goal. So that type of progression in real time and, and just development is, uh, is very encouraging. And you know, I think he, you know, he strings together a few more positive performances like this from here on out because there's no reason to really turn it back to Tyrod Taylor unless DeVito gets hurt. You know, hopefully he doesn't. Uh, I think he could secure himself a backup job in this league for, I don't know, three to five years, which that's a nice little income for him.
2: This is really illustrates the current state of quarterbacking in the NFL as we're talking about an undrafted rookie who's now the toast of New York. Uh, But I want to go to another crazy story, which is what's going on in Cleveland right now, a team that you are very familiar with. And uh, Jason and I are all aboard the Joe Flacco bandwagon because Mm -hmm. he's relatable. He's old like we are. He also started the season like we did. We were all watching it on the couch together. (laughs) None of us were playing on an NFL team. So I feel like Joe Flacco is my guy now is Flacco actually going to take this Browns team to the playoffs.
1: So are you saying that you are next in line to sign with a team that needs a quarterback? I mean, I I feel all right.
2: I feel all right. I, and I, have got a couple (laughs) marketing campaigns. I think I got, I got a Cutlets thing I'm working on. I think I'm going to be okay, but I've, Flacco thing is amazing to me. If they go to the playoffs, he'll be 39 and he didn't play for two and a half, three months this year. And then he comes in and kind of slings it around.
1: Yeah. And it is amazing um, just because, you know, he takes the, he joins the roster this year and you see this salt and pepper, more salt and pepper gradually uh, beard of his. And, and you're like, God, did, did did Joe forget to pack his razor when he moved to Cleveland? You know, what's going on here. But at the same time, uh, what you're really seeing is years of experience coming through at uh, for a player who still has it physically and and I think that that's really what's most important is that he's protected pretty well he's working very well with Kevin Stefanski, and he knows how to play football he has so much experience that look as soon as he gets the offense down and you ask him to do x, y and z in certain situations he's going to know how to handle it because he's been out there for a long time with previous teams so what I love the most is that he can still spin it. He's mm-hmm. still got tons of arm talent. Yeah. Mark Sanchez was gushing over when they played against the Rams a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and that's really what's helping him, is that and it's situational decision-making, that fourth and 3 that he converted uh, with the touchdown pass to David Bell. No other quarterback on the Browns roster. I don't even know if Deshaun Watson probably makes that play. <laughs> um, because what he did was he sensed the blitz. The Jaguar send seven. He, he slides to the right. He knows exactly where this route combination is going, and he finds the guy. You know, he had a drag. He had a little bit of a stick, and he had a, a, kind of a, a corner route, and classic kind of like a Z V-spot. If you were playing that, you'd see Z V-spot. It was what it would be called. But uh, it was a bit of a trailer turned into a stick for David Bell, and, and Flacco in, instantly knew. Pressure's coming from the left. I have more blocking assistance on the right side, and the area I'm looking is on the right side. What do they do? They vacate that area of the field because they're blitzing the linebacker responsible for coverage there. He finds Bell. Bell turns around and sees nothing but green grass. That was all Flacco, and that was the play where I was like, wow, like this dude is elevating this offense. It should be no surprise, honestly, that Flacco is finding success with Kevin Stansky, though, because – he is the quarterback that most resembles Kirk Cousins, at least on this Browns roster. Stefanski has been asked to, you know, find a way to work with Deshaun Watson for the last year and a half. And Jacoby mm-hmm. Brissett. closer to a Cousins than Watson is. And then Dorian Thompson Robinson, all these quarterbacks of different styles, but Flacco ends up looking the most like the quarterback that Stefanski worked with in, uh, well enough to get this job. And so um, it, and it almost seems like a return to normalcy and, and now the Browns, because of all the injuries they've dealt with and everything else, they're playing with house money. So to see Kevin Stefanski dial that out, Flacco executed to perfection, and then Stefanski jubilant on the sidelines. Normally a normally stoic guy, I mean, that's exactly what I would come to expect from you know a team and a staff and a coach who knows that there's they should not be here. They should not be eight and five with everything that, that they've dealt with, and yet here they are. And a lot of it has to do with their coach and their quarterback.
2: Well, there'll be more elite quarterbacking on display tonight, Thursday Night Football, as we get Aiden O'Connell versus Easton
0: Stick. Uh, Nick, enjoy all that's that. That's Not a real name, Easton Stick. That's He's that's that's a hockey stick. He's a real person. You know,
1: when I when I uh, I was run, I've been running the Madden league for a few years, guys, and okay. at one point Easton Stick trickled his way into our roster, and, I, and somebody brought him in because their quarterback got hurt, and I'm watching somebody else's game in the league, and I went. St- and I follow college football, but I was like, Easton Stick? That guy's got to be a generated name. Nope. <laughs> North Dakota State's second finest behind Carson
2: Wentz. Nick, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Enjoy the week. We'll do this again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That's Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, the pride do you think of Nate- North Dakota State football.
0: Do you think Nathan Rourke is, like, kind of having a chuckle with all the injuries and all the guys that are... Or do you think he's just like... <laughs> Kind of wish that was a more serious injury to Trevor. Uh, if Eastern Stick is getting a is getting I, a, a gig here, I like being honest and
2: you know owning up to my mistakes with the listeners. When I I got that Nathan Rourke thing so wrong, so wrong. In, in what way? In Jack? Well, I thought he'd have an actual opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that they would just arbitrarily give CJ Bethard the backup job. With no real reasoning, other than like he's been around longer, yeah. Um, and I thought it was a good move because I thought he could learn and nurture and grow. And well, he learn- might be learning, right? But he'd be better if he was doing what Tommy DeVito is doing right now, playing actually playing. But right. Tommy yeah, DeVito, right. <laughs> Tommy DeVito made him, made, him, made him some sh- like scoots on this one, like to to use the parlance of the day, like Tommy DeVito in this this small window. Mm-hmm. Now you can roll your eyes at the gross like caricature. Over cartoonization that's a word I just made up of the ta- you know, grasping onto the thing and living at home with his parents and mm-hmm. eating you know, chicken parm cutlet sandwiches and all that. But I, you know, I've got a little bit of time that he knows that he's got this really small window because he shouldn't be playing. Mm-hmm. The only reason he's playing is because yeah. Daniel Jones is hurt and Tyrod Taylor's hurt. He should be where Nathan Rourke is on the practice roster, but he got a shot and he's going to make some money out of it and he, at least he's earning it. Like he's going out there and he's playing good football. He won three games. He's scrambling. He's running around. He th- might.
0: He might stick around because of this.
2: So like, I don't mind the sideshow stuff because at least there's some substance to it. Like yeah. he, he's playing and he's winning. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, hey, I just, sorry, just to put a bow on it, I feel bad that Nathan Rourke couldn't have got the opportunity to do the same thing.
0: Well, he, he still could, right? Like it's, this is his first year down in the NFL. Um, and but it was Tommy DeVito's
2: first year in the yeah, NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he was yeah. It, I just that's all I'm saying. It just mm-hmm. it stinks that this opportunity in land to Rourke because he seems like he made a smart decision to go learn and tutor. And it might still work out, like you Mm -hmm. said. But at the same time, Easton Stick is playing quarterback tonight.
0: (laughs) And George Richards is going to join us next. Uh, George writes for Florida Hockey Now. Long time beat reporter for the Florida Panthers. And the guy that I reached out to the day before Luongo was traded to Florida because it came after Luongo had been snubbed for the Heritage Classic. I DM'd George, and I was like, do you think the Panthers are still interested in Luongo? And the very next day, he was traded there. We'll talk to George coming up next on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.